0: We're going to pray, so let's go ahead and just gather back, uh, gather our hearts, our minds before the Lord around his word. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Joshua for a moment. Uh, It will be in several places, but primarily just a couple verses or so in in the first chapter of Joshua. So if you want to go ahead and turn there just to get ready, um, uh, the verses will be up there as they often are, but um, there's also something about using your sword that uh, is very important. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for waking us up this morning, whether we wanted to get up or not. God, thank you for uh, bringing us here this morning, Uh, Lord, whether we want to be here or not. Father, I pray, God, that our hearts would be in line with yours this morning. I pray, God, that our spirits would be in line with the Spirit of God Lord, I pray that as we open your word, God, that we would fully expect you to speak to us, God. This is not just church for church's sake. This is not just what we do because we're quote-unquote Christians. God, this is the time that you've given us, Lord, that we're never going to see again. I pray, God, that we would allow you in our lives this morning to, to make the most of this time, God. And though we may not see this time again, Lord, we have the opportunity to see the fruit of this time. Moving forward and even into eternity. So, Lord, would you, God, please make me nothing, Lord, in, in our pride, in our flesh, in our selfishness, in our busyness, our responsibilities, God, the uh, the things that are are fighting for our our mental attention, God, the uh, the pleasures. that that are fighting for our worship and, and, uh, Lord, for the devotion of our hearts, God. I pray, Lord, that they would all fall in submission to the word of God this morning. So, Lord, would you lead us by your spirit? Give us understanding, not just in our minds, God, but in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Okay, so I have a question for you. Have you ever wished that you could have gone back and done something different after the fact? Like, all of us, right? Or or you wish you could have gone back and said something different after the conversation, right? Just show of hands. Is it going to be unanimous, I would imagine? Yeah, it's probably not necessary, but yeah. But see, the, the problem with that, like, you, you but you, you, you replay it in your head over and over, right? We do that too. Not only do we wish, man, I wish I could have done that different or, or said that different, but like you, you just wrestle with that in your head. Man, if I would have just said this different, or, or you turn something in for school, man, if I would have just put a little more here, I would have gotten a better grade or whatever. But the problem with that is it, it, it's a futile attempt because that window of opportunity has passed, right? it, it It's gone. The book of Judges opens up with that same mindset. I said Judges, Joshua. The book of Joshua opens up with that same uh, uh, scenario. It begins with the ending of a life. Moses, the Bible tells us, the servant of the Lord is dead, and Joshua, his successor, is picking up the charge and moving forward. Though it's the end of Moses' life, there is a lot to glean from it, okay? Uh, we're not going to be there yet. I think you skipped a few, so I'm not going there yet, so we're going to backtrack for just a moment, yeah. Uh, and, and before we get there, I want us to understand, you know, if you've been here for any period of time, you know that, that this is a very doctrinally uh, purposed church, right? Because we believe the Lord champions doctrine, and it's his word, right? As we should. Uh, but this morning, the, the scope of, of our study will not be so much doctrinal as it will be uh, practical in application. Okay? Uh, but I don't want us to lose the doctrinal. And, and just see if you're unclear on, on what that looks like or what that means, uh, in His Word, God, God outlines for us three different applications of Scripture. Most of us are somewhat familiar with that. You've heard it. Um, so the three applications, I believe they're going to be up there, uh, are the first one being historical uh, what literally uh, historically has happened, okay? And, and then we take that knowing that it's factual, knowing that it's historical, and that has certain implications. And then we also look at the devotional application, okay? Which, uh, which I, I think all of us know, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? How, how does this apply to my circumstances? Fair enough, that's good, okay? Okay. Um, That constitutes, those first two constitute most people's understanding of the Bible. Those first two constitute most people's uh, reading or study of the Bible. Okay? And those aren't bad, they're important. But there is another there. And, And I would submit to you that it's, and I'll show it to you biblically in a moment, it's the most important one of the three. It's the doctrinal, also known as the prophetic. And by doctrinal, it's to what is this passage pointing? In other words, what is this teaching me about God? Or what is this prophesying or, or calling out beforehand? And the reason this is the most important, uh, because God calls it the most important. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, many of us are familiar with that verse. He tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable for four things. The first one being doctrine. Okay, so when I say the scope of our study this morning is not going to be primarily doctrinal, it doesn't mean it's not important. Okay, but even though it won't be the scope of it, I do want to just give you at the forefront of our time together, I do want to give you a a few things that that God is teaching us through Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So look there with me, and it says this, remember, uh, this is the end of Moses' life, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Okay? So, so, so God opens up Joshua with uh, the epitaph, if you will. Moses, my servant, is dead, all right? Now, we're looking at this doctrinally. Who was Moses? He was the lawgiver, was he not? He gave the law, okay? Now, this points to a simple but critical fact that the law could not give life. The law of God does not give us life. The law brings death, as a matter of fact, right? Paul said in Galatians that the law is a schoolmaster is it not to point us to our need for Christ, okay? It is not by adhering to the law that we inherit eternal life, right? I think as, as good Baptists, we get that, right? Romans chapter seven and verse five tells us that it's by the, well, let me read it from the beginning. For when we were in the flesh, Paul says, the motions of sins, which were by the law, the law, mind you, did work in our members, our bodies, to bring forth fruit unto death, right? We know that, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And see, Moses, he brought the children of Israel to the edge of of the land that God had promised them. He brought them to the edge, but Joshua was the one that would take them into the land to give them victory, to inherit the abundant life, yes, we're tracking, okay. Uh, the name Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. It's the same thing the name Jesus means, right? As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 45, when talking about Moses and then Joshua, Luke, who, who is writing Acts, calls him Jesus, So let's not miss the doctrine uh, that, that God is teaching us that law cannot save you. And then in verse 2, he says, now therefore, so go back to Joshua 1, 1 through 2. The, uh, Moses, the servant of the Lord, is dead. Okay, now therefore, arise. Now therefore, arise. There is no, the point is there is no righteousness. There is no righteousness without death to self-righteousness. There is no victory without death to self, and by that we mean our pride, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, as First John two sixteen tells us. Romans chapter six and verse four tells us that we are buried with him by baptism unto, or excuse me, into death. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead. By the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Okay, I, I told you we're not going to camp there, but I just wanted to show you, doctrinally speaking, what's going on here. Okay, It's the beauty of God's word to call out a thing before it happened, and that's exactly what he's doing here. Okay, But again, we could go more into detail with that, but, but we won't. The purpose of our study this morning is to evaluate the conclusion of a life. Because that's what we see here with Moses in Joshua chapter one and verses one and two. The conclusion of a life. I want to pose this question to you uh, for for us to guide our study this morning. This, This essential question. When nothing can be added to or taken away what will be said of your life? When nothing can be added to or taken away what will be said of your life. I I really, literally want you to think about that. The moment you draw your last breath, what will be said? Bear in mind, there will be absolutely nothing you can do to alter what will be said of you. That window of opportunity has closed. Your life in this physical tabernacle is gone. What will be said of your life? And, and as you begin that self-assessment, please understand that question is two-sided or two-folded. Number one, what will others be able to say about you? Number two, what will the Lord be able to say about you? So I want us to look this morning at what, what was said of Moses' life. At the end of his life, at the conclusion of his life, what was said of him? And maybe you'll find that you want that to be said of you, and honestly, maybe, maybe you won't. That, that's up to you. But again, for the third time, looking at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I want to point out a different, something different now. That God calls Moses the servant of the Lord. In verse 1. And then in verse 2, he calls him Moses, my servant. Moses, the servant of the Lord. God says, that's Moses, my servant. So the question becomes, what attributes qualified Moses for this epitaph? to be called a servant of the Lord. There are, I believe it's four that I'm gonna share with you, just just a small handful of things that God shows us. If we want, if you want, if not, then then tune out. And, And it's cool. But if you want to be called by others and by the Lord when you stand before him, my servant, here's what we find out. First of all, we see that Moses was a man who held communion with God. He he communed with God, okay? I don't mean what we think of in the church sense of every quarter he did a wafer and some grape juice, okay? And I'm not disregarding that, but he communed with God. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11 tells us, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face. And it wasn't just face-to-face, but it was as a man speaketh unto his friend. Can you imagine God looking at you and saying, that's my friend? And I know in Christ we are joint heirs and sons of God and all that stuff. But you see that man over there? You see my son? That's my friend. You see that woman, my daughter over there? She's my friend. And we know that that in this church age, we we don't speak to God face to face. It's not how he reveals himself. But we speak to God, Uh, we have him speak to us face to face. We have the opportunity to commune with him daily. As a man speaketh unto his friend, God spoke to Moses. Deuteronomy 34 and verse 10, again, there arose not a prophet, God says, sins in Israel like unto Moses. Again, God's putting a premium on Moses, and he says, Whom the Lord knew face to face. And God is saying, there was no other like my man Moses. There's no one like him. Because you see, when God called Moses, you know what Moses did? Moses answered him. He answered. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 8. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, not in dark speeches, and the similitudes of the Lord shall he behold. My servant, he calls him, Moses. So God called him and he spoke to him and Moses answered him. Uh, we see this several times in Scripture. I'll just show you a few. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2, God spake unto Moses. Exodus six ten. and the Lord spake unto Moses. Six thirteen. and the Lord spake unto Moses. Exodus 20, uh, 6, 28, 29, it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spake unto Moses. And you can go on and on, Exodus 8:1, Exodus 8:5, 12:1, 131, 14,1. On and on, God says, "I spoke to him." Well, I don't know if God's speaking to me today. You don't? He's not speaking to you because you're not letting him. He wants to. He still does speak. Is he speaking to you? Are you holding communion with God? Because that's what a servant of God does. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 tells us the end of this verse man does not live by bread only. Right? We can quote this probably, but I don't know that we live it. Man, God says, does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord, doth man live. And when you open this book and you read these sacred words, you are hearing God. Did you hear that? You're hearing the voice of God. You're not just doing your daily devo You're not just opening up for church. You're not just trying to catch up because you're behind on your Bible reading plan in a year. You're hearing the voice of God. He is speaking to you. And if you can get that principle in your mind, and if you can get that principle in your heart, it will transform your relationship with this book. And it will conversely transform your relationship with the God of this book if every time you open this book, you know God is about to speak to me. 1 Thessalonians, Paul's writing to the believers at this church in chapter two. He says, man, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And this morning, whether it's here corporately or or during the week individually, whenever or however often or not so often you open this book, when you do, you are not receiving the words of men. You're receiving the word and the words of God. And if you get that, If you get that in your mind and you get that in your heart, he says, that is when, look at the comma, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Well, man, God's just not working in my life. I just don't feel close to God. And I'm not mocking those things. Those are real sentiments people go through. Maybe we're not close to God. Maybe we don't feel him or sense him working in our lives because Maybe either in our our, our reading or our application, our living it, we are not receiving this as the words of God. Because that is when it begins to have its effect. That is what will transform your Bible reading and your Bible memorization, your Bible study, whatever. That effectually worketh in you that believe. And this book... Okay, we're not in the Old Testament. That's a different dispensation. Okay? This book is the, capital T-H-E, singular, only way God speaks to you. Okay? I'm not saying he can't impress things on your heart. I'm not saying his spirit doesn't bear witness with ours, because both of those are true. But this is the mode and the medium in which he speaks today. Hebrews tells us in chapter 1, the first two verses, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Of course, that's how he spoke. We see that all through the Old Testament. But verse 2 says, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Well, that doesn't say that it's the Word of God exclusively that speaks to us. That says that is the Son. That's Jesus. Well, if you compare things spiritual with spiritual, you'll know that John chapter one and verse one calls Jesus the word of God. First John chapter one and verse one calls him the word of life. Why does he keep being referred to as the word? It's his name. Revelation chapter nineteen and verse thirteen, when he's coming back, uh, kicking butt and taking names on that white horse, his name is called the Word of God. Think about the power the Lord Jesus Christ has, and you just thought about the power that this book has—the book that you have open sitting in your lap. Or the book that you don't open throughout the week. Or maybe that you do. Again, I'm not presupposing. Do you commune with God? Because Moses did. Do you allow him to speak to you? What good is relationship if you're not letting that person talk to you? Second thing that we see is that not only did, did Moses commune with God... This one's going to get tough. He was a man of considerable meekness. And this is going to fly in the face of every single one of our our flesh. uh, Myself, first and foremost. A man of considerable meekness. Humility. He was humble. You know, he never defended himself. He never defended himself. He never responded on his own behalf. Numbers chapter 12 and verse three. Look what God records about Moses. Now the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. In the context here, it becomes excuse me, in the context here, it becomes more critical, or more powerful, I should say, when you understand that Moses had some very close people to him, some family who came up against him and started talking smack about him. Stabbing him in the back. And and despite his position with God, and despite, I mean, this dude was used of God to go to Pharaoh and to call down plagues. Like, he had it in with God. And despite his position or power with God, he refused to respond. He refused to respond on his own behalf. to to, to rise up in self-defense. Why? He knew that was God's job. That wasn't his job. That was God's job. What do you do? What do I do? What do you do when someone starts barking at you, starts coming up against you? Do you jump up and defend yourself? Why do you do that? Well, that stuff he said just ain't true. That's okay. I know it's not true. But do we care more about our name or do we care more about his name? Who cares? Maybe it's not true. But would you, would I speak up for his name as often as I speak up for my name? Am I talking about his name even half as much as I do my name? Do I defend him half as much as I defend myself? Well, I don't speak about my own name. Yeah, you do. Every time you use the pronouns I, me, my, or mine, of course we do. We all do. If you really want to know how humble someone is, don't listen to them talk to God. Listen to them talk to men. Listen when people talk. You'll, you'll get a good idea of, of who they really are, what they think about themselves, what they think about others, what they think about God. Well, that just that thing, that thing that happened to me, it just it wasn't fair. You know, you don't understand. I know. I didn't say it was fair. I didn't say it was right. But it's it's not your life. If you're in Christ, it's not your life. it's not mine. Aren't we told in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 that Christ is our life? Christ, who is our life. I, my life is his. It's not my own. I have no right to defend myself because it is not my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verses 19 and 20 are very clear. What, Paul says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. I'm talking to Christians here. If you're not a Christian, then okay, this doesn't apply to you. But if you profess Christ, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, with blood. Therefore, glorify God. Don't glorify self in your body and your spirit, which are yours. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. It's very interesting how he says, in your body and your spirit, oh, which are God's. So so, so what is this thing of humility, this thing of meekness? What is that? Humility, it's not just walking around thinking all the live long day that you're a, a big pile of monkey poop. It's okay, Cheyenne, you can laugh at monkey poop. That's not what humility is. Humility is possessing such a complete... Uh, spiritual comprehension that God is all. God is everything. And that I am brought to absolute nothingness before him. That is humility. Uh, If if I'm going to possess, if you're going to possess humility, then we need to see ourselves for who we really are, and we need to see ourselves, uh, our sin, for what it really is before God when you see yourself and your sin before holiness and righteousness that's going to humble you that is going to humble you and in order for us to do that we need to first understand that it can't be done we cannot see ourselves for who we are before him without seeing him for who he is and it goes back to this book it goes back to the book. And listen, if we think that we possess, or possess, possess excuse me, if we think we possess biblical humility, well, I think I, think I kind of fit the bill. Okay, cool. Fine. But if you think that, but you also think you're anything more than nothing, then you're deceived. Okay, and I want to clarify that. I'm not saying you have to walk around and think like sadness off of inside out. Well, I don't know. I'm just. Or Eeyore off of Winnie the Pooh. Like, it's not like you have to walk around thinking you're a big old whatever. That's not the point. The point is seeing yourself for who you are before Him and realizing that it's only in Christ that you are anything. Because after salvation, you are made a son of God. You're not a big old pile of junk. You're redeemed. You're saved. You're not your own anymore. And that realizing that is what allows us to be free it's what jesus said or what john said in john chapter three and verse 30 he must increase and then there's a comma and a contraction there and it's not an inclusive contraction it's an exclusive one but i will sometimes decrease i must i must decrease and again, it's not that you have no value to God. He became flesh and died for you. You have value. To, you have worth to him. But when it comes to his glory, when it comes to his righteousness, his will for our lives, I must decrease. I must If we truly desire to decrease, and listen, I couldn't even get up here and tell you that I desire to decrease, okay? I have a flesh. Now, I would admit that I desire the desire to decrease. Maybe we could all say that if we want to be super spiritual today, since it's Sunday and all. We may desire the desire to decrease, but do we truly desire to decrease so that he could increase? And again, that's not a presupposition that that you don't. But if we truly do desire to decrease and allow Him to increase, then there is nothing that you are trying to be. You're not trying to be anything, there's no one that you're trying to impress, there's no position you're trying to attain. That there's no pecking order that you're trying to maneuver yourself into. There's no one's admiration or esteem that you're trying to gain. And I'm not saying, you know, we just need to say, well, screw everyone and everything. and Understand the spirit in which God is saying this. It's not about my position in front of other people or other people's perception of me. The only one who cares about your perception of me is my stupid flesh. It's the mentality that Paul wrote to the Galatians in the second chapter of Galatians, verse 20. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. That's where the value is. That's where the worth is. That's where the power is. That's where the intimacy with him is. When you get up every morning before you put your smelly feet on the floor, not I, but Christ. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. When someone cuts you off in traffic, not I, but Christ. When someone hurts you and it doesn't mean that it didn't hurt and it doesn't mean that it wasn't real. And it doesn't mean that you don't matter. But not I, but Christ. That was Moses' perspective. It doesn't matter what people say about me. It doesn't matter who comes up against me. because, And I'll prove it doesn't matter. I'm not even going to try to defend myself. I'm going to let God take care of that at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's hard. That's hard to bite your tongue. That's hard to not lash out in the flesh. Okay, this is not coming from a pastor who's mastered this. So he was a man of considerable meekness, Moses was. He was also a man of continual faithfulness. Not just faithfulness, continual faithfulness. You remember earlier when we saw when he communed with God, we talked about that, and we said that the Lord spoke unto, spake unto Moses? Okay, we saw that time and time again. But listen, it didn't stop there. Moses did something with it. He obeyed. He obeyed the word of God. Exodus 4.28, Moses, uh, Moses tells Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. He did what God told him. Exodus 19, 7, Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces. All these words which the Lord commanded him. Exodus 34, 4, Moses rises up early in the morning and he goes up to Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him. Exodus 35, 1, Moses says, these are the words, y'all. These are the words which the Lord hath commanded, that ye should do them. Do them. He was a servant of God. And listen, when was the last time God spoke to you? I think maybe we get it by now. It's the last time you opened this book, the last time you read your Bible. But what was your answer to him? what was the response? It was one of two things. It was, yes, Lord. Or it was, well, X, Y, Z. But X, Y, Z. And maybe it wasn't verbal, but mentally or in your heart, it wasn't, yes, Lord. See, when God spoke, Moses obeyed him regardless of the circumstances. It, it didn't matter. What about you? What about me? Because you see, uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, we see some very scary words. We're posed this question by our Lord. And he says, why call ye me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. I mean, Lord is master. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. So Jesus is a good teacher. He's going to give us an illustration. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, when life got tough, When there was trial and tribulation. Not if the flood arose, but when. It's going to happen. But when that happened, the stream, it beat vehemently upon the house. Could not shake it. Could not shake it. For why? For it was founded upon a rock. But, the other side of that coin. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built in house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And I know for a fact, I've used this stupid illustration before, I know for a fact not one of you looked in the mirror this morning before you came to church, saw a big old booger hanging out of your nose, and just left it. Well, that's just stupid. Well, I got some broccoli in my teeth. All right, let's go. I'm good. Oh, my breath is kicking. All right, let's go. Like, no one does that. But we'll look into the perfect law of liberty. We'll see a blemish. We'll see our sin. We'll see our inconsistency. We'll see our unfaithfulness. And we'll go on our merry way. Maybe it's because we care more about our name than we do his. His. On this particular note about uh, Moses being of continual faithfulness, I just want to show you one more thing and then we'll get to the last point. Look what else God says about Moses in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 7. My servant Moses, he says, was faithful. And he was faithful in all mine house, God says. In all my house. He repeats that in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 2. Moses was faithful in all his house. I'm just going to leave those there and refrain from commenting. You can let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. Because Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 says that most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness but a faithful man, who can find? And it doesn't mean that they don't exist, but they are a rare breed, a faithful man, a faithful woman of the Lord. The last one, and there's several more that we could look at this morning that made Moses a servant of the Lord but just not to overwhelm us, just one more. he's he was a man completely surrendered to God's service by faith. Read that again. A man completely surrendered to God's service by faith. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, it begins. By faith, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, grown, matured, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember? She's the one that found him in the, the basket there and he, got, he was reared up as in, in Egypt. Okay, He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Can you imagine that? Having a choice which we do every day, by the way. Having a choice to enjoy the pleasures of the world, which Egypt is a picture of the world. That's the doctrinal application there in Exodus. It's sin, bondage, etc. Having the opportunity to choose between the pleasures of the world or the, what was that word? Oh, affliction. With the people of God. Because see, Moses made a choice. Moses refused to identify himself with what made him confident. He refused to identify himself with what made him comfortable. He refused to identify himself with what made him secure. He disregarded, and by that I mean the things of the world that made him secure. He refused. He said, I will be, he didn't verbally say this, but his life cried, I will be so satisfied in you, God, that I will be free from all the self-protecting fears in my life. All the ways I try to guard my flesh, I will choose to forsake that which makes me comfortable and secure and, and, and um, confident. He disregarded the power of the world. He disregarded the prestige of the world. He denied the pleasure of sin that he might have the presence of God. He denied the pleasure of sin. When was the last time that you or I denied the presence of God for the pleasure of sin. Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was sometime this weekend. Maybe it's every day or every other day. Maybe it's not. But if we're going to be, or if we're going to desire to be called servants of the Lord, my servant, would to God that we would deny the pleasures of sin Because that's what he did. And it wasn't just because we need to be good Christians. It's not because we need to be religious. Screw that. It's do you love your Lord? Do you love your God more than you love yourself? Is he worthy or not? That's the question that we have to um, decide on that we have to reconcile in our hearts and our minds. And, and like I said Thursday, if you, as Joshua said in chapter, chapter 24 and verse 14, if you say, it is evil for me to serve the Lord, and none of us would verbally say that, I get that. But every time we choose the pleasures of sin more than the presence of God, we are telling him, it is evil to serve you. Guys, this is, this is hard for me to preach. Because I get it. I get it. It goes on in Hebrews 11 and verse 26, continuing to, to describe uh, Moses as the servant of the Lord. And he says that uh, he esteemed the reproach of Christ. Well, that's odd because this was Old Testament. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that that rock that they drank from, that spiritual rock, was Christ. There's, again, that doctrinal application there. But again, he esteemed the reproach, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. In other words, Moses had such an unshakable satisfaction of a Christ-filled life. Like, that was his satisfaction. That was his joy. It didn't matter what the world offered him. It paled in comparison. As Paul said, it is as dung. It paled in comparison. His faith allowed him to look ahead and pass the temporary. And he Moses determined that the eternal was worth more than the temporal. The eternal was worth more than the temporal. And I think God is asking the question where are my people in in 21st century Christianity who esteem the reproach of Christ dying to self, picking up our cross and following Him? Where are the people in the my people in the 21st century who esteem the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and greater than worldly treasures? Are there any? at one Baptist church. Are there any in 2021? Verse 27, he goes on again, by faith, continuing to speak of Moses, he forsook Egypt. He forsook everything that held him in bondage, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Uh, Moses forsook everything that brought him power. You know the position he held in Egypt? He forsook everything that brought him power. He forsook everything that brought him a sense of worldly identity. He forsook everything that brought him comfort, everything that brought him authority, everything that brought him pleasure, everything that brought him ultimately bondage. He forsook it. And, and see, at this time, most of God's people, and by God's people, I'm talking the OT, uh, in Israel in the wilderness, most of God's people said, man, I would rather be a slave in Egypt than to die in the wilderness. Just send us back. Send us back to bondage. I'd rather go back to the world than to, be, than to die in the wilderness. Moses said, I would rather die in the wilderness than be a slave to sin. Okay, I know we don't make it a big fanfare that most of Israel died in the wilderness, and that's not a cool thing. But Moses would have rather that than to go back to the world. Forsaking everything. He demonstrated an undefeatable faith. And we just saw in verse 27, it was by faith that he forsook Egypt. Verse 28 and 29, "...through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land." What the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Most Christians, y'all, most Christians in the final watch of this church age would rather be a slave to the world, would rather be a slave to their flesh, would rather be a slave to their comforts, to their desires, to their schedules, to their jobs, than dare do anything for the Lord. We would rather go back. I promise you, cross my heart and hope to die. I'm not saying these things because, man, well, so-and-so needs to hear this, and, and you over there, and I know that about you. I'm not saying any of this for any of that. Hopefully, I'm not even saying this. That it's the Lord speaking to us through his word this morning. But most Christians in the final watch of this church age would would rather go back and be a slave to fill in the blank than to do anything for the Lord. But Moses, Moses, the man whom God called my servant would have rather died in the wilderness than remain a slave to sin and to bondage. So I pose the question to you, that began our study this morning. When nothing can be added to or taken away, what will be said of your life? Both by others and by the Lord. And let me ask you this, if I could, what do you care most about when it comes to what other people say about you? Like, is that the magnificent obsession of your heart? That people would say of me, that is or was a servant of the Lord. Not whatever strengths or or things that you have going for you. Not whatever legacy you can leave behind. Not whatever mark you can make in corporate America. Not whatever ladder you can climb. But what do you care most about when it comes to what people say about you? Is it that they would, do you care, do you want them to say about you what, what, what God said about Moses? Joshua 1.1, 1, 1, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Joshua 1.2, Moses, my servant. Joshua uh, 1.7, Moses, my servant. Joshua 1.13, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Joshua one fifteen Moses, the Lord's servant. And E-I-E-I, flipping an O. We can go on and on. So I I want us to to kind of tie a bow on this in in a few moments with with some personal applications. Okay. Yes, I want that. Yes, I need it. Okay, fair. So what do I do? At the judgment seat of Christ, every single one of you who profess to be in Christ, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We will not stand at the great white throne judgment. We will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And this question will be posed to you. What did you do with the life I gave you? What did you do? What will you be able to say? A- and I've said this twice, and I feel like I need to say it one more time. I'm not presupposing the negative. You, you have to discern that. But let me offer just a few things if I could for you to consider before you get to the judgment seat of Christ. Because it might be sooner than you think. Just three quick things. Number one, consider your investments. Consider your investments. The investment of your time, the investment of your relationships, the investment of your resources. Don't get caught up in investing all of yourself into this life. Listen, I know this is going to sound like a, I'm going to take some antidepressants later, but it's all going to burn up. It's all going to be gone. All of it. Everything that we have worked so hard to attain, the lives that we've worked so hard to, to provide for ourselves and our families and our kids, et cetera. Et cetera and those things aren't bad, but consider your investments. Okay, it's not bad to be successful. It's not bad to work hard. You should work hard. It's not bad to provide. It's not bad to enjoy the fruit of your labor. But we would do well to take a lesson from this parable in Luke 12 that Jesus taught. Starting in verse 15, he said unto them, take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully surplus. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, Aha, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Watch Netflix, relax. But God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's not bad that he had that stuff. It's not bad that he was planning for the future. But the problem was that his investments, his stuff, it had his heart. I'm good now. I've built up my nest egg. I'm comfortable. But he says, no, you fool. You're about to go before the judgment seat. So, how are you investing your life? Are you investing it in self or are you investing it in eternity? Ecclesiastes twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Why? For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Second thing, and this will go a lot quicker, count each day a responsibility. So consider your investments, but count each day a responsibility. Okay, just like for your family, for your work, uh, you know, school, whatever, you have responsibilities. If you're saved before God, you have responsibilities. Psalm 90, verses 9 through 12. All of our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, that's seventy. If by reason of strength they be eighty or fourscore years, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Down in verse twelve. So teach us to number our days. Why? That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We're not always going to be around. Each day is a responsibility. And then the last thing, consider your investments, uh, county, state responsibility, and concentrate on eternity. Concentrate on eternity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, believe it or not, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, we talked about Moses being a servant this whole time. And it's very interesting, speaking of eternity and Moses in Revelation 15 and verse three, they're singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. They're saying, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, Just, uh, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Focus on the eternal because remember, I asked you, and this I'm going to show you a verse in Matthew real quick in just a moment, and then we'll be done. And then I'm going to show you a video, actually. But Matthew, we talked about eternity. Matthew 25, verse 21. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to show you a, a quick video here, a song that's just recently grabbed my heart. And then we'll pray and we'll be done. I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. What about you? What about me? Because he's not going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant on that day, if he can't say it today. We could change that, but what do we care most about when it comes to what people say about us and what he says about us? Is it that he or she is a servant of God? Then be a servant. Father God, thank you for your word. or I thank you for um, your people, God, that have put up with me to to hopefully bring your word, Lord. And, and God, I pray that uh, first and foremost for me, because I'm the one that's been blabbing my mouth about it, God, I'll be held accountable for it. God, I pray for us, Lord, that we would allow your spirit to cause your words to take root in our hearts and be established, Lord, and to bear fruit. And God, where we are serving self and where we care more about our own rights or our own whatever's more than yours, Lord, God, convict us of that. Father, where we care more about yours than ours, God, I pray that you would encourage us with that and, and by your grace, uh, allow us to continue in that, Lord, and to grow in that. But God, there's only one name above every name. It's only Jesus. May we be your servants. And it's in that name we pray. Amen.